Now, I need to begin my teaching this morning with an apology. Because last week I began my sermon with a rant on how I had given up on football. I realize now that I was speaking emotionally and I, I look back on it this past week. Texas won and Oklahoma lost and I like football again. But I still haven't got over the pain of the Cowboys and that gutless performance they put on two weeks ago. And so someone sent this to me this week, and I thought I would share it with you. It's a series of questions and answers. The first question, how do you keep the Dallas Cowboys out of your yard? Answer, put up a goalpost. Where do you go in DFW in case of a tornado? To Texas Stadium. They never have a touchdown there. <laughs> What's the difference between the Dallas Cowboys and a dollar bill? You can still get four quarters out of a dollar bill. <laughs> and my personal favorite, what do the Dallas Cowboys and possums have in common? Well, both play dead at home and get killed on the road. <laughs> now, the truth is, they may frustrate me and disappoint me, and even infuriate me. But I will never be able to forsake my devotion to my favorite team. I'll be rooting for them again next year. I feel the same way about my favorite church. I think I can say that I probably know the flaws and the warts in this church better than anybody, beginning with my own. But I am still in love with the bride of Christ at Richland Hills. And I don't think that's ever going to change. Do you remember some years ago an episode in the classic Andy Griffith show where the Women's Historical Society announced that they had found a member in Mayberry who was a descendant of a Revolutionary War hero. And everybody was excited, wondering who it was going to be that would receive this plaque. And several, including Barney, even doctored their genealogy to figure out a way why they were going to be the honoree. Do you remember who it was? Do you recognize this picture? <laughs> Otis, known as the town drunk, was the one that was picked. And the people were appalled. And some even told Andy, we need to get a substitute Otis. But Andy stood firm. And Otis came dressed in his only suit. And he got the plaque. And he said, just because you're a descendant of a hero doesn't make you a hero. And so I would like to give this honor to the town of Mayberry. For which I am just proud to belong. And that's how I feel about this church and about you. With all of our warts, with all of our flaws, with all of my warts and flaws, I am just proud to belong to this church. Do you notice at the first of this assembly we didn't have our normal hug and howdy time? That's because I wanted to have it right now. I want you all to stand up one more time now, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to find someone you don't know yet, and I want you to say, Hello, my name is, but you can call me Otis. Do that right now.
Okay, if you will remain standing, I want you to sing this song with me. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with chains that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together, Lord, bind us together with love. There is only one Lord. seat now and I promise I'll let you stay down for a while. (laughs) It is wonderful to be at this church but it is even better to be in this church and my job this morning now is to explain what I just said. As Chris mentioned we have a mission statement at our church. We believe our mission is to grow followers of Jesus through worship, community, and service. Now, growing followers of Jesus is the mission of every church. Our strategy is to do it through worship, community, and service. And so, as I mentioned last weekend, I'm taking the first three weekends of the new year to explain to you why we're committed to this particular strategy. Now, I want to begin with this principle that I believe membership should be intentional. It should mean something to be a member of a particular body of Christ. Maybe you heard the story of the mama who looked out in the backyard and there was her little boy reading his Bible to the family cat. And she thought, isn't that cute? And I'll leave them alone. But a few moments later, she heard a terrible noise and she looked out there and he's trying to take the cat and put it in a bucket of water. And she said, honey, what are you trying to do? And and he said, I'm baptizing the cat. And she said, cats don't like to be put in the water. And he said, well, then he shouldn't have joined my church. See, it's only right for a church, for any church, for this church, to have a strategy that it expects all of its members to support. Now, I said there's one mission, to grow followers, make followers, make disciples of Jesus. That's the one mission for every church. Now, different churches have different ways they're trying to do that, and we have a way. God loves us just like we are. But He loves us too much to stay where we are. So our mission is to grow people into the image of Christ. See, we celebrate last uh, Wednesday night when over 200 people accept Christ and get baptized. But we don't stop there because Jesus didn't stop there. Do you remember all the parables he would tell about sowers throwing out seed? Some of the seed would would fall on thin soil and it would sprout, but it would die. And some would fall on soil with weeds and it would sprout, but it would die. Now... Because we don't live in an agrarian world like his hearers did, I don't think we get the full impact of that story. Because if you lived in an agrarian world, you don't celebrate a seed sprouting. Because if it doesn't grow up and mature and bear fruit, you starve. And so it's not enough just to be happy that a seed sprouts. We have to see it grow and mature and bear fruit. That's the mission. 
Now, our strategy to do that is to ask you to commit to three things. To regular, consistent worship. We talked about that last weekend. Next weekend, we'll talk about faithful, joyful service and why that's critical to your growth as a follower of Jesus. But what I want to do this morning is tell you why we think community is critical to your growth as a follower of Jesus. I don't think our strategy is that different than the strategy of the very first church. Acts 2 verse 42 reads, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, in other words, to sound doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They had four non-negotiable commitments, which is interesting to me because I don't think most churches think fellowship is a non-negotiable. Now, the other three are. If I stood up and said, we're not going to preach out of the Bible anymore, you'd be upset. If I said, we're not going to pray anymore, we're not going to take the Lord's Supper anymore, you'd be upset. But so many people who think those things are non-negotiable will come week after week to a church with no relationship, with no investment in anybody, get up and go home. Because we've decided fellowship is an option. And the early church disagreed. And I'll tell you why. They understood from their time with Jesus that discipleship must be interpersonal. That biblical Christianity is more than just a private transaction with Jesus. Yes, God saves us individually But then he intentionally places us into community. Now this is how Jesus discipled. And this morning I'm basing my sermon on the assumption that Jesus knew what he was doing. And so when he chose to disciple, he chose people to live in community with him. We know there was the larger group of the 72 that he would send out two by two on missions. By the way, Jesus never sent anybody on a mission by themselves. You always did ministry with somebody. But inside that group, there were the 12 with whom he was truly intimate. And even inside that group, there were the three that he knew best of all. And this is how Jesus developed followers. The early church followed this strategy. They were a large army that consisted of numerous small platoons. When you read the New Testament, it is so clear. The New Testament church was not a big fellowship that had a small group ministry on the side. The New Testament church was a small group base. Fellowship. But sadly for most of us, we have allowed centuries of encrusted tradition to shape the way we view the church. A view that doesn't line up with the church in the Bible. Now, here at Richland Hills, we are trying to get back to our roots. Which, by the way, is consistent with the fellowship of which we're a part. A restoration movement that says, let's study the Bible. Let's find those principles from the first church that are transcultural. And let's try to reproduce them. Now, let me explain why I think this is so important. And why we are committed again at Rich and Hills 
to becoming more of a small groups based church. And so Chris announced this Wednesday we're going to have a small group fair. We want you all to come. If you're not already in a small group for six weeks, we're going to dismiss the summit. And we're going to do small groups as a church family all during the week, all times. We have groups that go on all the time anyway. But three times this next year, we're going to ask the whole church to be in a small group. We're going to dismiss the summit again in July and again in October. So this next year, we'll have the summit about two-thirds of the time. But about one-third of the time, we're going to try to ask everyone to be in a group. Now, let me illustrate why I think this is critical. Even for some of you who don't feel the need. Now, you've been wondering what this bucket's down here for, haven't you? These are giant Legos. And this Lego represents me and you. It has connectors on it. You see, I believe every person is wired to have so many truly intimate, deep relationships. No one in this room is wired to be deep and intimate with every single person they know. Even Jesus didn't live that way. Now, some of you are extroverts. and Maybe you're wired. You can have 10 or 15 really, really deep friendships. Some of us, like me, are introverts, and we have a fewer number. But over time, especially if you've been at a church a long time, like I have, these relationships get filled. I have all of the deep, intimate relationships I'm emotionally able to handle right now. Now, sometimes I feel guilty about that because other people come into my life I want to get to know better. But I can only be deeply intimate with so many people. Even Jesus could only be deeply intimate with so many people. I can try to rearrange my schedule. Maybe I can move these people here and move these people here and... Maybe I can try to figure out a way to squeeze in a few more people. But I can only connect deeply to so many people. Now what happens is that someone comes to our church. Now here's the thing. I can be friendly to anybody and so can you. But that's all I can be is friendly. And they try to connect and I'm full. What are they going to do? And let me tell you something else, folks. People aren't looking for a friendly church. They're looking for friends. They're looking for people to share life with. And so, how are we going to make it possible for people that are newer to this church to find connection? We're going to have to create more connecting places. More opportunities for people to get real with somebody else. Now, I'm so pumped right now because, number one, I made a totally biblical point, And, number two, I'm getting to play with Legos. <laughs> two dreams have just come true. And that's why we try these small group seasons. We tried one last year. And I just want to take a moment now and ask you to watch a video. We've just asked a few of the people who participated to share why it was important to them. The best thing about our small group is that we get to know each other really well and we get to watch each other grow. What a wonderful experience. When I came in, I didn't know anybody. Um, I just happened to 
talk to someone and they're like, well, you should come to small group. And I came and it was total instant acceptance. They just loved me and they invited me to do things. And I all of a sudden had a group of friends where I used to not have any because I just moved here. It was very wonderful. What I like about our small group is it gives us a framework to look into each other's lives and to help each other heal from the wounds that we all have. The thing I really liked about small group was meeting the people. They were really nice. I'm loving our small group. I'm loving getting to know people that I would never have gotten to know in any other way. They've been there for years, but um, we would never have met them had it not been for the small group. Small groups mean so much to me because I get to hear people's stories, which are really part of God's big story. One of the things that I love about small groups is that pretty much everyone can be a leader in some way, and it offers the opportunity for everyone to develop their spiritual gifts and leadership potential. We have a small group meeting in our home that is constituted by red, yellow, black, and white. We are all ages. God created us all, and He loves us all, and we love each other. When we first came to this church, we moved here. Um, we came to the doors, and Michael felt really comfortable right away. He said, now this is the church, and I'm thinking, no way. I am an ant in an anthill here. I don't feel comfortable with all these people. And, but then we got um, somebody invited us to a small group, and I, we got to know everybody in that small group. And then when I came through the doors, there was somebody I knew who knew me. He said, hey, hello, how are you doing, what's going on? And after that, I, this was home to me too. thing about small group is you get to learn and have fun and praise Jesus. You see, there's a difference between being at church and being in church. There's a difference between being in this building and actually being in the body. What we're doing now is important. Worship is important. But we need more than just this. We need community for two reasons. One, for caring reasons. Now, as I make this point, I want you to watch this series of pictures. Do you remember when the tsunami hit? This little hippo was washed out to sea and washed back and separated from its mother. Now, baby hippos are social. They stay with their mother for four years, and he didn't have a mother. Its name is Owen. So Owen found a 100-year-old tortoise who adopted him and became his surrogate mother to get him through a very tough time in life. Now, there's a point to that story. God has so designed His creation that when life hits hard, you need to be more than a face in a crowd. A moment ago, we had greeting time. We all stood up. We enjoyed that. But did anybody share a deep struggle? Did anyone stop and pray for anybody? Because this kind of context is not the place for that kind of thing. Sam Rayburn, for years, was uh, Speaker of the House in Washington. When he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, he announced he was going to move back to Bonham, Texas. They said, Sam, why would you do that? The best hospitals in the world are right here in Washington, D.C. He said, but in Bonham, Texas, they know if you're sick and they care if you die. That's the power of the smaller group. The Bible says in Galatians 6, we're supposed to carry each other's burdens 
and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. And that doesn't happen in this room. But it needs to happen. And small groups give us that context where that one another stuff the Bible keeps talking about can happen. It's a better context for us to use our spiritual gifts. Because God has given us all gifts of teaching and prophetic words and faith and mercy and encouragement. But we don't use them here. But we can use them in our homes and in our groups. It's a place where we can model the priesthood of all believers. And through caring and being cared for, we all grow as followers of Jesus. We need community for caring reasons. And we need it for daring reasons. Charles Schultz had a Peanuts column years ago where... Charlie Brown is explaining this new dog food. He says it's so easy. You tear open the sack, you pour it in a bowl, you add a little water. It's no trouble at all. And in the last panel, you have this little balloon above Snoopy. And Snoopy says, I wish I was worth some trouble. And you do too. You would like to know that somebody thinks you're worth a little trouble. It is not easy to be what we're trying to be. We're trying to follow the way of Jesus. And I don't know if you've noticed, not many people out there are trying. They're not trying to live like He lived, think like He think, talk like He talked, treat people like He treated people. We are trying to swim upstream in a downstream world. Maybe that's why the word encourage is found 109 times in the New Testament. Like Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, this kind of encouraging does not happen in a large room. Not in this room, not even in our Bible classes. Our Bible classes are wonderful experiences. But I've been in them, I've taught them, and it's not the place where someone is going to share a deep, dark secret and say, who's going to help me with my struggle and walk with me? But we need that place. We need some place. Where God-designed self-disclosure can actually happen. Like the Bible talks about in James. I love how 516 reads from the message. Make this your common. Notice, your common practice. Not something that happens once every five years. This should be a part of how we grow as followers of Jesus. That we confess our sins to each other. And we pray for each other. So that we can live together whole and healed. Please don't mistake companionship for what the Bible calls fellowship. Because they're two different things. Companionship will let you stay stuck right where you are. But fellowship will compel you to move in the direction of who God wants you to be. I've told this story before. But in 1947, Larry Doby did something very important. We've all heard of Jackie Robinson. He was the first African-American to enter the National League. Just a few weeks later, Larry Doby was the first in the American League with the Cleveland Indians. His first time to bat the stadium was full of racial slurs. He was very nervous. He went to plate. He swung at the first three pitches. He missed them all by a foot. He walked back dejected to his dugout. He walked past all his teammates, got in the corner, put his hand down and his head between his hands. The next batter up was Joe Gordon, all-star, great hitter. 
The pitcher that day was a pitcher he usually knocked out of the park. He walked up to the plate. He swung at the first three pitches and missed them all by at least two feet. He walked past all his teammates, sat right next to Larry Doby, put his head between his hands. Nobody ever asked Joe, did he strike out on purpose? But for the rest of his career, when Larry Doby got up to go out in the field, he picked up Joe Gordon's glove and he tossed it to him. And Larry Doby went on to become one of the greatest hitters in the American League. That's what community will do. It will take you where you are and help you get where you're supposed to be. And you cannot become a growing follower of Jesus without it unless you know more about discipleship than Jesus does. Now, I know this kind of investment can be risky and it's hard. And I know some of you are thinking right now, my brothers and sisters are worth the trouble But this kind of commitment just isn't natural for me. It's not supposed to be natural. This kind of relational investment takes a supernatural empowering. None of us are adequate unless the Holy Spirit shows up to help us do this for each other. The Bible says in Romans 5 and in verse 5 that God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit Whom he's given us. And we need to step out in faith. And put ourselves in places for that kind of love to show up. It's our greatest witness to the world. Because the world can copy a lot of things the church does. But the world should never be able to imitate. The way we do people. You see I think fellowship will be inspirational. It will inspire the people that are growing. It will inspire the world that is watching. And let me close with a story that I think illustrates this point well. I know you've already heard this story, but it's worth hearing again. It happened here just a couple of months ago right in northeast Tarrant County. Some of you are familiar with a school up in Gainesville. It's a school for young men who are incarcerated, 12 to 19 years old, that have committed serious crimes. And they have a football team. They're called the Tornadoes. They're not very good. To be on the team, you have to have finished half your sentence, pass all your classes, and no behavior problems. Boys are constantly coming and going from the team. It's hard to have any continuity. I don't think they've ever won a game. They're always on the road, driven in a bus by armed guards, with never any fans to support them. But their last game of the season was right up the road at Grapevine Faith School. And the coach there, his name is a Mr. Hogan, had this idea. What if for just one night, half the fans at that school cheered for these boys? And he sent an email out to all the parents. And here's the message I want you to send. He wrote, you are just as viable as any other person on planet Earth. So those boys showed up and they saw a strange sight. Parents lined up for them to run through. They'd never done that before. And then they went to their bench and a strange sight. There were over 200 parents on their side of the field holding up signs rooting for them. Wouldn't you be shocked if I told you they played their best game of the year? They didn't win. But they scored two touchdowns. They'd only scored two touchdowns all season. And at the end of the game, they did something they'd never done before. They got their Gatorade bottles and they splashed their coach because they felt like winners. One of their boys said, 
You can tell people are a little afraid of us when we come to the games. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like we're criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us by our names. And maybe one of the coolest things, at the end of the game, both teams met in the middle of the field, the 14 boys from the school and the much larger grapevine team, for prayer. And the quarterback for the tornadoes asked if he could say the prayer. And this is what he prayed. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. And I'm saying to you, with all our warts and with all our flaws, there is nothing on earth more beautiful than the bride of Christ when she's at her best. And that nobody, nobody should do people better than us. So, we're going to engage in a little people time right now. I've let you sit for a while, so it's time to stand again, please. We're going to sing a couple of songs of worship. Now, during these songs, we're going to have a little people time. I've asked all our elders to attend this service, and I'm going to ask them now to kind of get into the different aisles with their wives and our ministers, our prayer team. During this worship time, if you would just like someone to, to spend some time with you and let you know you matter to God, they'll pray with you. They'll talk to you. I also want you to know if you want to go and pray with somebody, if you want to go hug somebody during this time, you're free to do it. You're free to let someone know how important they are to you. And if you're ready to be baptized into Jesus Christ, would you just come down to the front and see one of the ministers and we will unite you with Christ even this morning. We're going to spend the next few moments just being the body of Christ.